Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Ben Fern and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Paul Sheridan. Best behaviour today, Paul? Very best behaviour. You almost came in a suit, I hear. I was very tempted to, yeah. Yeah, I wore flip-flops and a pair of shorts just to sort of show my rebellious streak early doors. That's just you every day, isn't it? It is normal, yeah. yes, yeah. I did get a bit of a warning the other day about the colour of my flip-flops, yeah. Been looking forward to this episode for quite a long time. We have. We've been pushing this episode for quite a while, haven't we? It's yeah. uh, it's a it's a, a great honour to have our guest in the studio at Church House with us today. Yeah. Booked, we... booked months ago. Indeed, yeah. You've been in the green room for hours. <laughs> no red smarties. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we introduce our esteemed yeah, guest? Do that. Yeah. So the Right Reverend Dr. Pete Wilcox has been ordained for more than 35 years. He trained at Ridley Hall in Cambridge after completing a degree at Durham University. After serving as a curate on Teesside, he studied for a doctorate at Oxford. And in 1993, he returned to the Durham Diocese to serve as a team vicar in the parish of Gateshead. In 1998, he took up a new position as priest in charge of St. Paul's Church at the Crossing in Walsall, great name for a church. Between August 2006 and July 2012, he was canon chancellor at Litchfield Cathedral. Between 2012 and 2017, Pete then spent a formative five years as Dean of Liverpool, overseeing the largest cathedral building in the Church of England. On 7th of April 2017, it was announced that he would be the next Bishop of Sheffield and was installed in September 2017 at Sheffield Cathedral. He was also introduced to the House of Lords in March 2023, which is exciting stuff, I think. He's married to the novelist Catherine Fox. They have two adult sons. Pete is a fan of all ball sports, which is fab for me and Ben, because we are too, and follows the fortunes of Newcastle United especially closely. My fourth son, Alfie, is a big Newcastle fan as well, so the, the Tonoli moment this week has, has rocked him a bit. Not good, not good. Betting scandal. Italy. <laughs> so, yeah, not, not good news. Well, uh, hello, Paul, and hello, Ben. And after that build-up, I'm really hoping that the podcast is not a complete disaster yeah we make sure it's not a disaster yeah we'll just carry on talking it but i'm sure it's not we've been looking forward to this for ages so thanks so much for spending your time no, it's a pleasure with us it's good to be with you you've been very busy this week in the house of lords so we do appreciate your time no. uh, asking lots of questions as well which has been good to see yes yeah, so it was my first experience as what's called duty bishop and uh, when you're duty bishop you do get uh, quicker access to uh, for opportunities to speak so um, it's been nice to be busy there very good can I just ask you about that the House of Lords you rock up to the you know the seat of government did, how did that feel for the first time because it's, it's only recently that that happened and I know you made your first speech and we've seen the YouTube of that rocking up there what did that feel like yeah, it, it's taking me a while to get used to it. Both, I say that you know, just 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 to get used to the geography of the of the Palace of Westminster is a bit of a challenge. But also to get used to the culture, and um, it's a place with very um, peculiar protocols and conventions. You which, surprised me. <laughs> which is a bit a bit nerve wracking because it's it's easy to feel like you've put a foot wrong. Um, uh, but um, but I I. Uh, I this week's been really helpful because um, speaking often uh, has just enabled me to feel like I'm finding my voice and beginning to feel like I'm finding my way around both literally and metaphorically. So uh, so I've, I've, 
So I led prayers. So every session, every single session of the House of Lords begins with a bishop leading the prayers. And it was my privilege to do that this week. And I noticed that on Wednesday, I, I was a lot less nervous about doing that than I had been on Monday. That's an extraordinary moment, isn't it? And that happens in the Commons as well around prayers, doesn't it? That the seat of government in a increasingly secular society has men of uh, uh, of God or people of God, people of faith in that building, and that you're allowed to say those prayers at the start. That that must be something that is really still precious to us. Yeah, and 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 the, the, so the prayers follow a set form, uh, but the. The longest of the prayers is a prayer for the Holy Spirit to direct the deliberations of the coming session, um, and and prayers are well attended. It's not they're not they're not mandatory. So, I would think something like half the peers in attendance um, when the business starts don't attend prayers, but but come in at the end of prayers for the start of the business. But that means that half are there, yeah, and the half that are there are. They include people who are very obviously um, members of other faith communities. So, you know, I, I, there's a peer there who I know to be a, a practicing Jew who was there in the prayers this week. There's certainly um, a couple of practicing Sikhs who are there for the prayers. Do you find it as well the Lord's is perhaps a less confrontational chamber than the Commons as well? Oh, very much so. It's, it's, it's much more um, gently collaborative than... Than the um, than the common so and a, a, a real uh, a real indicator of that is, is that the, um, the 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 House of Lords um, self moderate so uh, the it's very rare for um, for for, for uh, the speaker to have to intervene to call somebody to speak there's a, there's a, the, the 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 House kind of knows whose turn it is for the next speaker so although two or three people might jump to their feet and both seek the opportunity to speak um by by convention two of them will sit down and 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 it's it's just done on a kind of feel of goodwill the nuts and bolts of when you introduce to the lords do you get a a, a wi-fi login for the lords is there anything <laughs> like that is it yeah. well, <laughs> when, when are you fitted for the ermine robes yeah. <laughs> so yeah all of i say all of that and, and i actually have to say the um the the induction i received was very thorough and uh, and helpful so you 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 have a an interview with the lord speaker and an interview with black rod uh, an interview with the clerk's office um so that you know every effort is may is made to to help you understand how things work and to make it easy for you and yes you, i i i have a dedicated ipad um and a dedicated email address um and um and a, a login details to 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 um um, apps that are exclusively for the use of members of the House of Lords, that sort of thing. Oh, very good. I know it's, it's a you know fantastic building. I've been on a tour of the Commons and the Lords. Um, as tourists, you're not allowed to sit down on the benches. I think if everyone did throughout the day, it would wear and tear a lot. Have you had you been to the Lords prior to being initiated? Yeah, yes, yeah, a few a, f- a few times. Um, I remember um, just after I'd been appointed Dean of um, Liverpool. Um, so my predecessor when I was Dean of Liverpool was uh, Justin Welby, no less. Um, uh, he'd gone on to become uh, the Bishop of Durham, which is something he did for about five minutes. Um, uh, and uh, and in that five-minute w- window, um, I wanted I wanted his take on what the challenges and opportunities I would face in Liverpool might be. And he invited me to meet him 
in the House of Lords. So that when that was, you know, uh, 10 years ago now. So you and I are very similar age. I was born in May 62. You were born the, the year before that, I believe, Lincoln. I was born in South Wales. As a, as, as a, a boy going to primary school, and I know this is a weird question, but it was struck me last night as I was thinking about this interview. As a boy going to primary school, did you have that moment in your early years, teenage years, coming through school when you thought, I want to be a clergy or a bishop? Did you ever imagine yourself sitting in the House of Lords? Anything like that? Where were you heading when you were younger, do you think? Yes, and um, never, never as a primary school pupil not no no not not at all um uh, so um my my dad is ordained and indeed my dad eventually became um, a bishop he was bishop of uh, dorking at the end of um at the end of his ordained ministry um but uh, i grew up as a missionary kid i grew up in uh, sort of born in lincoln uh, but before i was 2 uh, we moved to india so i had my uh, my my primary school years not at primary school um so i was at a I was away at boarding school from the age of six. Um, so was that boarding school in the UK that you no, were sent in no, India? A brethren-run boarding school, oh. uh, 200 miles from the family home um, uh, with a bunch of other missionary kids. Uh, um, so, so I grew up with a very, very strong faith background. Yes. But I also had a conversion experience at 13, uh, by which time I was back in, in the UK. Um, and and with my conversion experience came an absolute conviction that I was called to ordained ministry. So at that age, you felt that, yeah. But I never supposed bishop. I you know I I assumed that God was calling me to be a vicar, and indeed God was calling me to be a vicar for quite a long period of time. When did that moment come then? When you went from that calling to be a vicar to thinking actually I might want to to be a bishop. I don't know if I would ever have said I want to be a bishop. Um, uh, I so so the, um, the 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 first major surprise was was um, finding myself drawn into uh, the world of cathedrals. I I, I never I never envisaged that move. No. Um, when, when I when I was most recent, so I did eight years as a vicar in Warsaw in the West Midlands. And when when I sensed I was coming to the end of that um, particular ministry, I I wondered about becoming the principal of a theological college. That that, that if if I imagined myself not as a vicar, that's what I imagined. So I I have I have a, a doctorate in theology. Um, I care very much about the formation of the next generation of clergy. That seemed like I, I could imagine a fulfilling vocation as the principal of a theological college. Uh, but, I, but but got asked by the Bishop of Lichfield to take on a role as canon chancellor of... So Warsaw is in the Lichfield Diocese, got asked to take on a role in, in the cathedral there and said no, actually, the first the first, the first first time. Um, I, I just couldn't... Why would I want... I, I, I've gotten... I had no vision for the ministry of a cathedral... Church. I was a complete stranger to the English cathedral choral tradition. I, I could not have told you, this was 2006, I could not have told you this, the name of a single setting of the Evensong Canticles. Just completely unfamiliar world to me. But they failed to a point, and he came back to me again and said, I, I honestly believe the Lord is calling you 
to this, and I, I, I began to sense that he was right. So that was the first surprise, was was going to Litchfield Cathedral for six years on the staff there. But if I hadn't done that, I could not then have gone to become Dean of Liverpool. Do you think this is challenging some perhaps misconceptions about senior clergy and bishops that they just think from the start, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a deacon, I'm going to be a priest, I'm going to go down this path, and now I'm going to be a bishop, whereas actually it can be quite a surprising path. And for me, that's one of the glories of the Church of England. There is absolutely no predictable career path. You can't set out to become a bishop and work like that. Um, but but it was during the period uh, during the period um, that I was de- uh, dean. I couldn't imagine be- I couldn't imagine staying dean to retirement, and and the, so it was it was during the it was during the last two years in Liverpool that I found myself wondering if God might be calling me to be a bishop, and indeed finding myself drawn into conversations. Um, with the appointments, the Archbishop's appointments uh, advisor about particular vacancies. So when this role um, became vacant, um, I I did I did allow myself to imagine that God might be calling me here. Which is one of the powerful taglines when we've had open day for clergy here. That has been the sort of tagline, hasn't it? Is God calling you to the Diocese of Sheffield? I think that's leading us on quite well to your sort of journey here then. Was it an easy decision to make to come here? Uh, well, it was. It was. Uh, you, um, you, you may remember, and 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 people who listen to the podcast may remember that that it, it was a it was a very tricky period. Um, it was a very easy decision for me to make, but it wasn't. A, it wasn't. It didn't come about in an easy way. Um, I, 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 I served. I've served all, virtually my entire ordained ministry in urban centres in the north of England, so Gateshead. Um, I, mean, I realise Warsaw is not north, but it's not south either. Yes, um, <laughs> we can have that. Just north is it the urban yeah. I mean, Walsall, we, yeah, I've worked in Walsall. It's, it has particular issues, doesn't it? It's similar northern issues, really. Midlands de- deprivation. I, I would say. And, and, then, and then Liverpool. So, so, so Sheffield was the kind of diocese where I could imagine myself serving as a bishop. So so I allowed my name to um, to, to go into the mix when they were um, seeking to discern who God might be calling here, and and was invited to interview, and really felt through that process a definite sense of calling here. So it was really unsettling and uh, disturbing to me when um, it was announced that Philip North was to be the next bishop of Sheffield and not me, and I I tried to. I tried to re-engage with the ministry I was exercising in Liverpool, which for five years had been gloriously fruitful and fulfilling, and and w- which I was really enjoying. But I just couldn't resettle. I, it, the, 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 the announcement of Philip's appointment was made in January 2017. I'd known since the end of November 2016 that I, that I hadn't been appointed. Uh, but I just couldn't re-engage with any peace in my ministry in Liverpool. I, every day, I every day, I was trying to consecrate myself afresh uh, to the work God had given me to do in Liverpool. But I was really struggling with it. Um, and and then I, I'm not sure. I haven't not sure I've ever told this bit of the story publicly uh, before. Um, two years earlier, the then Bishop of Sheffield, Stephen Croft had invited me to lead 
a retreat at Scargill House for clergy from the Sheffield Diocese. So he, he was still the Bishop of Sheffield. I was still the Dean of Liverpool. The gig when I accepted it had no particular significance for me. And it went into the diary for March 2017. By the time I was interviewed to be Bishop of Sheffield, it was just around the corner. And I remember, I remember thinking, oh, I, I could be going to that retreat as the newly announced Bishop of Sheffield. But, but I wasn't. Um, and when, when I realized I, w- I had not been appointed, that retreat became a bit of an insult to me, a bit of r- r- rubbing salt in the wound, because I was having to engage with 40 clergy from the Diocese of Sheffield as the now not appointed Bishop of Sheffield. So I had to dig really deep to do a decent job of leading that a particular um, retreat. And, and then... As the retreat grew, grew closer, the furore around Philip North's appointment, Philip, who I know well and love dearly and admire hugely, and um, whose whose appointment I think was within a whisker of genius for, for Sheffield, but but once it began to unravel, it kind of felt inevitable that it, it was unraveling um, messily. And all of that was kicking off while I was at Scargill House with 40 clergy from the Diocese of Sheffield. And it was while I was there, it was actually while I was there, surrounded by clergy from Sheffield, that I got the phone call from Archbishop Sentamu, then the Archbishop of York, to say that um, Philip had decided to withdraw. And I was what was called the alternate name, um, the second name, so asking me, did I still feel called to be the Bishop of Sheffield, and it was extraordinary to be asked that question while I was with clergy from the Diocese of Sheffield. So vocationally, it was a really, really easy decision, but it had come across in a really messy and difficult way. It really sounds like a, a dream job because it's not an opportunity that's passed by and you thought, "Okay, I'll, I'll move on to something else." It, it clearly is something that you would call back to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That and and um, I, I must, you know, the law. It, it's been a, it's been a challenging job. I've been doing it for six years, and and I the, I think the Lord, the, the circumstances of my in the circumstances of my appointment, the Lord was extraordinarily gentle and generous with me in leaving me in absolutely no doubt that this is where He was calling me to be because I've needed to know that. Just just quickly, um, in terms of you mentioned an interview for the role of bishop, are you allowed to say what kind of questions you're asked? What's the process like? You know, how long does it go on for? Yeah, it's it, it, twenty minutes in Costa. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's it's a it's a very very rigorous um, process. So this is the this is the process for the appointment of a diocesan bishop. It's it's a little bit diff- different. The process is a little bit different for the appointment of area or suffragan bishops, but for the the um the the discernment process for the appointment of a diocesan bishop is conducted by something called the Crown Nominations Commission, the CNC, and that is a body of fourteen people. So you're interviewed by fourteen people. Actually, there are sixteen people in the room. Wow! Because you're also joined by the Prime Minister's appointments advisor and by the Archbishop's appointments advisor, but they are non-speaking, non-voting presence in the room i thought i felt for a moment you were going to say the 60 people because i had my lawyer sat behind me like <laughs> like a sort of succession moment was it don't answer yeah. that question no, um 
And, and so then you've got the the arch the archbishops. Uh, though, though in my case, the Archbishop of Canterbury didn't attend and sent another bishop to uh, in his in his stead. So two bishops, and then six um, six people who represent the national church, um, elected by the general synod, and six people who um, represent the diocese, uh, who are elected by something called the vacancy and see committee um, of the of the diocese. Um, and you uh, you first of all deliver a, a homily, a, a, a sermon on the a short sermon on the lecture and readings for the day, um, so they get a sense of what you'd be like as a preacher. Um, and then you're asked to do a, usually a ten minute presentation on some of the key opportunities and challenges of of the diocese and the role. And then you're into a, 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 a an hour plus of, uh, of of quite searching questions on 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 all, all the all the obvious uh, subjects. Quite different from when LJ and Jason were asking me at my interview about uh, films and music and football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But having gone through that process and all the stuff that happened after that, I suspect by looking at you as you're speaking that the stuff that happens to a bishop, you know, for the good and the bad, all of the questions that are asked, the difficulties, the joys, there's some sense within you that it was the right thing to do at the right but you've got because of all of the stuff that happened and that scargas moment and there you feel called by god to be uh, esther for such a time as this if i don't want to go too far with that but you feel that within you quite deeply that you were right for this position and god's called you to that yes and i think i've always needed to know that i think in order to give myself um fully to a ministry i've needed i've needed a sense of assurance that I am where the Lord wants me to be. So when you had the news about being appointed bishop, what were your main priorities for the diocese? So I, I, can, I can remember um, saying, saying at interview, um, uh, it, 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 inevitably, um, uh, the re-evangelization of South Yorkshire and the East Riding, uh, the revitalization of congregations, and that must mean reconnecting with children and young people, families in, in particular. Things like centenary projects as well, giving that a big boost. Yes, and and that, that you know that was that that was one of um, Bishop, uh, Bishop Stevens' uh, great legacies. I, I think that 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 extraordinarily brave decision of the bishops' council um, to mark the centenary of the diocese in 2014 by investing so heavily in a project to reconnect with children and families was was just inspired. And partway through your term, of course, we've had the global pandemic, which must have been a huge challenge. During that time as well, of course, Bishop Sophie was appointed suffragan bishop. What was it like navigating the challenges of the pandemic whilst serving your calling out on the diocese? Yeah, so there have been a series of, of, uh, of, of challenges. Um, you, you, you'll be aware um, that co coinciding with the period in which I arrived in the diocese, I was navigating a, a significant health challenge of my own. It was very clear to me from the moment I arrived in the diocese that the financial challenges facing the Dawson Board of Finance were really significant. Um, and I, and I'd, I'd barely been in post for two and a half years before the pandemic um, hit, uh, and and you know that was a pretty much a two and a half year process really to 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 feel like we were emerging from um, the pandemic, and 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 I, I, you know the 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 overuse of the word unprecedented was unprecedented. It was um, so um, uh, 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 you know, no no there, there there was no playlist for what you do in a as as a bishop in a in a pandemic um so so we were all 
improvising like mad in desperately difficult and uh, and uh, distressing um, circumstances. And 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 you know even now the thing that grieves me most was that three month period in which we closed our churches. That was just just a, a terrible thing. It goes against the natural instinct, doesn't it? When you're struggling, you need to, you want to see people be around them, especially in church, and that wasn't able to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And to, you know, to I, I mean, I, actually, we were we in it, not least in this diocese, we were pretty agile in yeah. moving church online. Um, but it still goes against the grain, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a warden, I can remember we we got to that moment, and we have a phone call says. There's no church is shut on Sunday, and we're all sat there thinking. And you know, Amazon just lights up as we start ordering a camera, and 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 Will saying, "Right, I'll do it from home this week." Paul, can you do it? Are you okay to do it from your kitchen table next week? And I'm saying, "Yes, I think so." And we just, I think it showed the agility of what we can do in an emergency when we suddenly went from everything shut to putting everything online. And I think it was an extraordinary moment where churches just leapt into something different it's changed the face of of church for 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 our generation hasn't it it has it has and and mostly mostly in good ways you know i wouldn't i wouldn't have wished the pandemic um, on the um country or or the church for for one minute but 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 actually um the uh the the the, we've just in leagues we have we have stepped up um to to the digital um world and 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 that will continue to be a, a blessing to churches and mission uh, forever so that's been fantastic to hear all that and it's been great if we can just leap back to your childhood again a brethren school in india okay so my wife was brought up in a brethren household uh, with non-conformists most of our lives so how did that impact you because there would have been some particular emphasis from that group of, of the family of faith and the brethren with it they're strong on the word so on and so forth so how did that impact you coming forward you look on that period with 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 great fondness or was it a difficult time being at a boarding school um yeah no it it, it so i was six years old when i went yes, away and, and um, that's extraordinary uh, itself, and um, it? and inevitably um a a, a key emotion when i think of of um of that time was uh was the pain at separation from my parents um because uh, it was 200 miles from home uh, they used to drive us my, my, i've got two older sisters and they were um at the same school um so my parents used to drive us up uh to the, the school which was in a part of india called the nilgiri hills um beautiful tea plantation um site and then they'd stay at a Christian guest house across the valley uh, overnight and leave the following day. And I, I can remember standing on a particular plot of ground within the school um, property, looking across the valley where I could see the guest house, knowing my parents were, were there and missing them. Um, so, so no, I, I, not, not particularly happy memories, but, but probably quite formative um, because um, relative to my father, my faith has developed a very strongly evangelical cast and and uh, you know although I wasn't I say I, I had a conversion experience at 13 probably the 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 the, exper- the experience of those years at boarding school um in in a in a brethren style probably had a a, a formative impact 
If you could touch just a bit more on that conversion experience at 13, what can you go into a bit more detail about what happened? Yeah, so I, I, I um, we, we, we returned to, to um, England when I was 10, um, and I, I, I then opted to go to, to boarding school. Uh, it was a, 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 an intentional choice of, of mine. I suppose I'd become accustomed to it in the four years between six and 10. Uh, and uh, so my parents sent me to um, a, a, a Woodard school, which is a group of a group of schools with a Christian um, ethos. Um, and, I, and I happened to attend a school w- with a strongly Christian evangelical head teacher um, who uh, organized a, a, a mission weekend um, in, in, in my final year at that um, school. So I was t- 12 pushing very close to 13. Um, and I, 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 had, I had begun to grow physically um, faster than my contemporaries at that stage and w- had begun to develop a bit of a slightly double life um, uh, at school, away from the influence of home. Um, I was quite enjoying being bigger um, than other boys and, and was experimenting, I suppose, with pushing my weight about it behaving in ways that I knew my parents wouldn't approve of at all being a bit mean really um uh, and then came this mission weekend uh, and and I uh, the the at the end of this weekend a a a preacher who was also a member of the magic circle was using magic tricks as a way of expanding the gospel which you you can imagine for boys aged you know eight to thirteen was um very vivid uh, I wasn't particularly I really was not particularly engaged um and and when at the end of the mission weekend he asked if any of the boys present wanted to um give their lives to Jesus um I wasn't I had no intention of doing that but I had a friend who I suspected would want to respond um and I remember, I remember thinking, I wonder if Tim is going to take this step. And in asking that question, I sensed God saying to me, actually, today it's not Tim I'm after, it's you. And I felt that in that call was a, was my, my uh, God was calling out my, my, my misbehavior and, and calling me to the gentler way of Jesus. That's really amazing to hear, and it's obviously had a huge sort of impact going forward. If we could, you touched on it earlier on, if we could come to the, the treatment you had for, it was cancer of the colon, wasn't it? I remember you gave a very moving testimony about it. I think it was at Synod last year. That must have been a very big moment for you and a very, a very big preparation to to talk about it. Yeah, so... Um... So it's all, it's all done and dusted now. I, I, I still get people in the light. That was almost a year ago I told the story at, at Dawson Synod, um, and I still get people very anxiously asking me if my health's okay. And, and it, it absolutely is. As a, that, that episode is, a, thank God, now a closed episode. I've been discharged, not receiving any further um, tests or examinations, let alone treatment. Um, uh, uh, as, as, as far as the medics are concerned, um, that's, uh, that's cured. Um, but but it was so it, it, it um, in so my my appoint my appointment as as Paul said in his intro my the announcement of my appointment 
um, as Bishop of Sheffield was on the 7th of April 2017. And in the month before that, as every incoming does and bishop um, is is offered, I was offered a um, a, a proper head-to-toe medical. It's like West Wing. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and they and they they, they no, there was no no great alarm, um, but they found a they 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 found a, a a bit of a cause for concern in my prostate, and so um, they uh, they they asked me if they could schedule a couple of other tests in the week following my um, uh, my. Um, and at the announcement of my appointment. Um, so uh, the appointment was announced on Friday the 7th, and then whatever it was, four, five days later on the Wednesday, um, I had a colonoscopy, um, and, the, and they found a tumour. Yeah, they found a, a cancerous tumour um, in my colon. Uh, and uh, for, for four or five days, uh, I was in that horrible situation of knowing that I had cancer, but not knowing how widespread um, it might be and how treatable it might be. And I said in my presidential address that those five days included Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy, Holy Saturday and Easter Day. So that was a particularly um, uh, poignant um, uh, walking with the Lord Jesus through his uh, uh, death and resurrection. Uh, but the following week, I had another scan and, and they discovered that it was local and treatable. Um, but it did mean that that in exactly the period between the announcement of my appointment in the April and my installation um, in the September, I was undergoing chemo and radiotherapy, which uh, was cumulatively um, tough. Um, I was pretty wrung out by the end of August uh, 2017. Um, but, but then um, I had some respite uh, in the three weeks running up to uh, the installation and then surgery um, surgery in uh, the, on the 1st of November. Um, so s- six weeks after being installed, I uh, was under the surgeon's knife at um, the Northern General. Um, and the surgeries left me with a permanent uh, colostomy, which again was, required some uh, some adjustment. Um, so, so, so that first uh, six months uh, as, as bishop, uh, you know, ma- managing that, I, I'd chosen not to not to go very public, uh, you know, inevitably a, a group of close colleagues were aware of the situation. Um, but I chose not at that time to, to go public. And so tr- managing it while while trying to look and behave like there was nothing amiss uh, had brought its challenges, yeah. Yeah, and it's extraordinary that story really, isn't it? Because God had called you, you knew God had called you, and then that happens. So how did that trigger it? I, I can't imagine how that triggers in my mind, but what did that say to you? Well, well in that, in that, um, in that five-day period when I knew I had cancer but didn't know how widespread it might be, um, I, I was quite prepared to admit that I might have to resign before I'd begun. I was thinking, oh, my goodness, poor Diocese of Sheffield, that's going to be too... Um, <laughs> and, and announcements that have come to come to nothing. So I was, I was in that five days, inevitably uh, confronting my mortality and 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 drawing up a bucket list. You know, um, so so I was imagine you know in in that short period imagining that um, I might not, after all, become the bishop of Sheffield. Uh, that I might resign as dean of 
Liverpool with ill health and uh, you know manage my last um, days. Um, but but once we'd had the once and you know that period of uncertainty was intense but quite short. Um, and once we knew that the cancer was local and treatable, I, I had a clear sense then of God saying to me, this is not a question of whether you'll be the Bishop of Sheffield. It's a question of what kind of bishop you're going to be. Uh, because um, it's a very, uh, the, the, the period between April and November 2017, I, I was left in absolutely no doubt of my dependence on other people. So I couldn't fix my cancer. Maybe, maybe curable, treatable, curable, but I couldn't do it. I had to place myself completely in the hands of of, of a load of other people. Yeah. Um. I, 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 so I did my chemo radiotherapy was in Western Park, uh, and the uh, the 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 quality of care that I received from a whole array of you know every time I turned up for a bout of radiotherapy, it'd be different people on 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 staff. But but they had to they had to target the radiotherapy absolutely exactly, make, making little tattoos on my on my on my skin, and then targeting the lay and it, I, so if they got that wrong I was in trouble, uh, but they got it absolutely perfectly spot on. But I depended upon them, and so that that experience of dependence became formative for my for my for the for my readiness to be um a bishop who who knows i, I can't do this I, I i'm dependent on god i'm dependent on the prayers of lots of people i'm dependent on the collaborations uh, you know not least with bishop sophie uh, but with other colleagues um I, I i am i am not able to do this in my own strength that was a very very strong vocational sense that came through the treatment what then prompted the decision to sort of go more public with it last year, and what was that like, sort of preparing that that talk? Uh, so, so what prompted the decision? I've been longing to tell the story, to be honest, um, uh, uh, because I, I was kind of losing track of who knew and who didn't know. Because, because I, I, I had, I, I had told the, I had told all the members of the bishop senior staff team who were members of the bishop senior staff team at the time. But then there were some changes, and I, 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 I kept forgetting who, who, who knew and who didn't know. And and then and then, and then I'd make some casual in the context of a bishop senior starting. I'd make some casual reference to 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 my my need for you know for because for the for the five year period I was receiving regular um, examinations, tests, you know, further scans, colonoscopies, all of that stuff to make sure that there was no recurrence. And, I kept, and every now and again, I'll tell one of the bishops here staff to, I've got, I've got a, 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 another scan this week, and then realise that, that that particular person had no idea what, what what had been going on. So I was quite keen to tell the story, and the trigger for it was being signed off. So, so during the first five years, but particularly for the first eighteen months, two years, but for the first five years, there is a heightened risk of a recurrence of the disease. But at the end of the five years. You're, you're medically no more likely to have a recurrence of the disease than you are to get it in the first place. So at the end of five years, almost literally five years to the day, so the operation was on the 1st of November 2017, and so I was discharged from the medical system at the end of October 2022. And as that 
um, horizon approached through 2022, I mean, actually, you know, from from early days, I I was confident. I felt in my body fit and well. Uh, 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 and as test after test showed no problem, I grew in confidence that this was going to be okay. So as 2022 unfolded, I thought, okay, if I'm discharged at the end of October, then in November Synod, I'll put the story on the um, on the record. That's partly because there is a there is a, um, a a stigma, a taboo about a colostomy, and uh, I think I wanted to give some encouragement to other people who are living with that condition. Um, I I think I also I can appear because uh, I have I've had a very privileged background, private education. Um, um, you, you studied at Durham, Oxford, and Cambridge. Um, I, I, I can I can appear. Um, as if my life has just been a stroll in a park, um, and and I know life is not actually like that for any of us. But I didn't want people to 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 be making the assumption that I didn't know what their struggles were like. Um, I wanted to I wanted to be I wanted to be open about the struggles I've had to negotiate. Yeah, Th- thanks so much for for sharing that so openly and so clearly. It is a great story, and you're absolutely right. It makes makes people's journey more relevant to them that this this person has gone through that as well so but the really inspiring sort of comments feeding back yeah, that you sort of yeah. opened up about it and what you said as well about how it's you still keep up an active lifestyle still go running that sort of thing and i think that that's just a great encouragement to everyone so we're, yeah. we're grateful you've shared that with us yeah as we come to the end of this time sorry i was just gonna was just gonna correct ben uh, so i didn't go I, I didn't say i go running I'm I'm too old to go running. Right. Um, I, I, I I go very 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 slowly and laboured way. I go jogging. Yes. Around Damflash, though, it's a very nice part of the world. It is. It's it? beautiful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so as we come to the end, we normally have some sort of questions about just different stuff. But just uh, as we come to the end, the future of the Church of England. There's lots going on, and we're, and we're not going to go into that particularly. But. As you come to work each day, do you come with a skip in your set, with a feeling of optimism? Do you come with a, okay, shoulder to the wheel, let's push on? How does that, every day, we wander into work with our badges and get on with our job, but for you holding that quite important position, how do you feel each day as you get up and come through? As you have your morning prayer or whatever, you think, right, here we go, or is it going to be a great day? It, it depends to some extent what's in what's in the diary. So, so, so... <laughs> So like today, for example, like today yeah. is a great day. <laughs> so tonight, for example, I will be um, going to meet with the joint deanery synods of Doncaster and West Doncaster, and they've asked me to um, offer um, an exposition of the Gospel of Mark, and that, that's absolutely in the sweet spot of my vocation. That's in your wheelhouse, as they and, say. And I, 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 so today, today, that that puts a spring in my step. Um, if I'm honest. Um, uh, I, I am finding the, um, the 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 highly divisive and contested uh, nature of the proposed prayers of love and faith. Um, not least, in, uh, this does is probably uh, one of those uh, one of the mo- one of those one in which the, the 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 prospect of those prayers is is as contested as as anywhere in the Church of England. Um, and I am finding I'm finding that uh, navigating that um, hard work. Um, so so there are there are many days at the moment, particularly days where that do- is dominating the agenda, when it is deep breath, 
Ah, here we go again, uh, having to having to dig deep and, as you say, shoulder to the wheel. Um, and I, uh, I don't know what the impact is going to be on the structures and shape of the Church of England over, you know, the next six months or so will be will be critical um, for that. Um, but my hope is not in the Church of England. I, I may have hope for the Church of England, yeah. but my hope is in God. And uh, and the the proposed prayers of love and faith will, will will neither speed up nor delay the coming of the kingdom of God. And it's really the coming of the kingdom of God which gets me out of bed in the morning. And and I I I, I um uh, that's 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 the thing from which I draw my sense of uh, of hope. I think if we come on to a sort of a more a uh, sporty question now. Okay. <laughs> I know you're a very big Newcastle United fan. Yeah. I'm interested to know what was the origin of that? When did you first start following Newcastle and why? Um I, so I I it was a it was a um it was an affection uh which grabbed me in the period in which I was a vicar in Gateshead. So I was a vicar in Gateshead between 1993 and 1998, and that was the the Keegan era. It was. Um, it was the period when um, Newcastle United bought Alan Shearer, mm. um, when David Ginola yeah. uh, and Tino Aspria were playing for Newcastle, and we were called the entertainers. And it was simply impossible to do any meaningful pastoral work in Gateshead without following the fortunes of... Newcastle United. So we lived, we lived within about a mile of uh, of uh, St James's Park on, on the other side of the river. Um, but I could follow the match standing in my garden just from the crowd noise. Um, I baptised uh, Kevin Keegan surname and a David Ginola surname while I was in <laughs> Gateshead um, be- be- because it, and it was the first place I'd lived where. Um, football strip was worn by men, women, and children on non-match days. Uh, Walking down Gateshead High Street on any day of the week, virtually every other person would be wearing club colours. So it just became, it became, uh, it became an obsession really at at that, at that time. And then when we moved away from Gateshead, uh, the, I, I could, I couldn't shake off the, um, the affiliation. You were at Wembley earlier this year. I was, yeah. So, so Newcastle. So, for, so, so that was a great period in um, the, the, the 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 history of the club. Although we didn't actually win anything in in the Keegan era, and we haven't had much to cheer about in the intervening thirty years. So that's because thirty years ago, um, we, we uh, there was a, there was a period in the early two thousands when Bobby Robson was uh, the manager. When we again um, played some decent football and made some progress in some competition, but again didn't win anything. Uh, but uh, but for the past two years, uh, we um, have entered another um, era. So I've not had as much fun as a Newcastle fan as I'm having at the moment for 30 years. And uh, in February this year, we got to the Carabao Cup final. We didn't win it, lost to Man U. Um, but it was great to be there at Wembley uh, with the Newcastle fans um, at, at a time when it looks like um, Newcastle are going to enjoy some success again. One of my sons, Alfie, as I said to you earlier, is a Newcastle fan, and we have a special box for all our five boys. 
and his in his special box is a Kieran Dyer shirt. Oh wow! Which, uh, which is it's tiny, which will never be thrown away. He picks it out occasionally to look at it and and just sort of smells it and just remembers those days. And the other night when they played PSG, the the the, the family sports WhatsApp was was full, <laughs> absolutely full. Yeah, and uh, you know we've had some we've had some great. Um, uh, victories recently, uh, but but that was just extraordinary. You know, extraordinary. P- PSG, uh, well, no, one of the finest clubs in Europe. This was our first home game in the Champions League for 30, 30 years, and we romped home. Um, played PSG. It was, uh, and the, the, there, there are there really are. I know every football fan wants to say this about their own club, but there really are few grounds in the country where the atmosphere is quite so electric as St. James's Park, and particularly St. James's Park under lights on a European um, night. And PSG just got like, caught like rabbits in the headlights. I'm not at all jealous. With, uh, <laughs> Derby D- County. <laughs> yeah, away nights at Cheltenham in League One. <laughs> not bitter at all. Um, yeah, along with we've thrown in the fo- football question there, we're, we're coming towards the end of our time, so we're throwing in some sort of more light-hearted questions. Sure. One I want to know, it is a frivolous question, but... Also, there are quite a few bishops in the Church of England. Is there a WhatsApp group? Is there someone who posts the most in the WhatsApp group? <laughs> um, so there are there are any number of WhatsApp groups. Um, so uh, so I I I now I I now belong to a diocesan bishops WhatsApp group. Is there a House of Lords WhatsApp? There is a, oh, there is a, a win. What, what, what's called Lords Spiritual WhatsApp Ooh. group? Um, I belong to a cell group of fellow Dawson bishops and I have an so I have an episcopal cell WhatsApp group. I I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should tell you who posts most though wouldn't it's not me. <laughs> I mean I can ask Bishop Safe the same question <laughs> later on so maybe she'll reveal uh... she wouldn't be in any of those three WhatsApp groups. Uh, okay. <laughs> Are there links to dancing cats on the Bishop's WhatsApp <laughs> yeah. group? That's what we want to know. <laughs> So we know that uh, theology is at the heart of all that you do and has been. So on the bedside table, so both heavy and light tomes, what, what are you reading at the moment? So for years and years and years, I have always had a Bible commentary on the go. And um, so devotionally, what I do is um, I, the, the, the basic pattern is that every month I am reading a different book of the Bible. And during that month, I am so do reading it devotionally first for in, in, as part of my own devotional prayers um, in the morning. Uh, so this month, I'm reading my way through 1 Peter, and um, I, I will accompany that um, partly in, in the act of my devotions, but at other times as well. Um, so I'm reading a Bible commentary on 1 Peter. That, that would be the, the heavy tome. Um, the the light tome. Um, so I I, str- I struggle to uh, I struggle to find time to read novels except on holiday, but I love to take a novel on holiday or more. Um, and they tend to be they tend to be crime, either thrillers or detective novels. And um, I've got four days leave coming up next week, and I've got two books set right. aside in anticipation. And so I'll be taking a Robert Crace. Um, detective um, novel away with me and the latest Lee Child uh, uh, Jack so, Reacher yeah Jack Reacher es- es- escapist uh, escapist literature yeah I, I sometimes if I'm on a plane or something I'll have a Jack Reacher and I'm slightly embarrassed about it I'd, I'd like to think I was reading Austin or something but I'm not reading Jack Reacher and they're just fantastic 
plane journey holiday reading, aren't they? They are. They're, they're nonsense, but yeah, great fun. Absolutely, they're f uh, entirely superficial, but 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 suck you into another world yeah. and um, quick reads. Yeah. Right. Any guilty pleasures on TV that you watch? <laughs> oh, um, Desperate Housewives. Yeah. <laughs> Soap operas. Yeah, no. <laughs> Reality see, I, TV. Um, I. I, again, I struggle to find much time. So, so to, to, so to be honest, I'm. Well, so it's not not quite true. Um, so, uh, mostly, if I'm watching telly, it's catch up, and mostly it's sport. Yeah. So anything with a ball yeah. in it. Yeah. So, and so when things like Ryder Cup are on, or oh, fantastic Ryder Cup that was. You know, it? the Rugby World Cup at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 almost certainly last thing before bed watching highlight yeah. reels um but kathy and i um so we we we're, we're very careful to defend a friday as a rest day we're in a privileged position that kathy can also keep friday free from her work um and often on a friday evening we'll sit down to watch a series of some sort together um could be could be Broadchurch, could be lincoln lawyer something like that yeah we just finished lincoln lawyer actually yeah any uh I guess again, it, it's fitting into your schedule. But film-wise, do you have a preference on genre at all? Um, no, uh, we we are fans of the Curzon, uh, lovely little yeah, cinema in cinema, the city centre in Sheffield, where you can um, uh, have, have a, a settee, have a yeah, a spacious seat to you take a glass of wine yeah. into the um, cinema. So we we go there quite often on Friday um, too, and uh, most recently saw the Old Oak, uh, which is. Um, not a feel-good film. <laughs> it's it's a very powerful film um, uh, about um, the arrival of a group of Syrian refugees to a former pit village in County Durham, and about the the the, the poverty of the village and the poverty of the refugees. Very good. Uh, just just finally for me, just quickly. Um... Music-wise, in terms of perhaps secular music, again, do you have a preference? Any bands? Yeah, yeah, Dylan. Dylan and then Dylan. Wow. Yeah. So um been listening to Bob Dylan for whatever it is, for forty something years. Fantastic. Mr. Pete's been fantastic. So the time has flown by. Thank you so much for your time. Great pleasure. And your honesty and, and opening up. It's been really, really fab. So um thank you so much for doing that. Um uh, so I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Uh worth listening to. Uh, we would definitely agree perhaps listen to you more than once. If you've got any comments or you'd like to be in touch, don't forget we've got wordsofgrace at sheffield.anglican.org um, and we have an interview later on today which will be released later this week with Bishop Sophie. Yeah. Brace of Bishop's Week. A Brace of Bishop's Week. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for Words of Grace. Welcome back anytime.